begin with a question for each one of you. Are you afraid of the dark? Are you afraid of things that go bump in the night, as they say, or monsters under your bed? Things that happen after mom and dad shut the door and close you up for the night of sleep. When you wake up with that bad dream and have to find mom and dad's bedroom, is that journey to mom and dad's room scary for you? A walk in the dark. What is it about the dark that scares us? I'm sure many of you have encountered times, maybe not at night when you're afraid of the dark, but what about when the power goes out because of a thunderstorm or a snowstorm? You can't see, and so you try to find a flashlight or a candle, and you're bumping into a chair and then into the table, into the island and the countertop. You don't know where you're going. It's a, a miserable way to be. But once someone lights the candle or turns the flashlight on, all is well, all is right. You can see things as they are. Well, Isaiah refers here to a bunch of people And congregation, this is not just merely a bunch of people. This is referring to everybody who walks the face of this world. He literally refers to, quote, the walking ones. And he says that they are enveloped. They're walking in utter and complete darkness and gloom. But they have now seen a great light. Now, congregation, when Scripture refers to one's walk, It refers to their journey through life. Like when we talk about our walk with God, we use that language all the time, don't we? We talk about other people in that way. Well, how's Jimmy doing? He's doing well. You know, he walks with the Lord. My son is walking with the Lord. It's good news. Or we might say, well, Jenny, she's she's not doing well so well. She's far away from the Lord. She, She does not walk with him. And we hear that news with heavy hearts. Each and every one of us are walkers. We are the walking ones. Every person who has ever walked the face of this earth is a walking one. Life is a journey that each and every one of us are on. We are all those who walk just as the ancient inhabitants of Galilee were. Now at the time when Isaiah brings this prophecy, the light had not dawned yet. But as the commentator E.J. Young says, what the prophet wrote in his vision, it was so certain to him, so vivid in Isaiah's mind, that he described it, what he had seen, this glorious dawning light. He describes it as if it has already dawned, as if it was here. That's how certain it was, that he could speak of the light and he could say, it has dawned. Even as he spoke to people who were in a deep, deep darkness. What God wants us to understand about his promises is how serious he is about them. How faithful he is to his word. He can do this, he can speak in the present tense because that's how certain they are. It's as if they've already come to pass. Think of the way Paul speaks. Paul takes this ethos upon himself when he says this in Ephesians 2, 5 through 7. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, Paul says, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, 
so that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For those who were dead, Paul says, in their sins and trespasses, walking according to the course of the world, following after the powers of Satan himself, because of the love of God and his grace, they can now say that I am seated with Christ in heaven. It's that certain. The reality of reigning and ruling with Jesus Christ forever and ever is so certain that Paul can say that it's as if we were there seated with him now, today, in this very moment. Why? So that the world may know, a world that stumbles around in darkness may know that there is one who is the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father except through him. Through us, God shows himself to be the one who doles out the untold riches of his mercy and grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Death in place of light, life, life in place of death, light in place of darkness, joy in place of sorrow. A great light has dawned on our world indeed. Our theme as we consider these verses this afternoon will be this, that our faithful God promises to reverse the gloomy condition of his people. Our faithful God promises to reverse the gloomy condition of his people. We'll consider this under two points, two headings. First, that there will be light in place of darkness. And second, that there will be joy in place of sadness. Light in place of darkness, joy in place of sadness. And so first, the Lord promises to bring us light in place of our dreary darkness. And children, we mentioned darkness earlier, the the darkness of night when we're having a, a bad dream or the darkness that comes when the lights suddenly go out at night because of a storm and the loss of power. But the darkness that Judah found herself in is a darkness that we find ourselves in, and it's not necessarily a physical darkness, like the power outage at 3 a.m. Certainly there was physical darkness looming for Judah. If you go back and read the chapters coming up to this point in Isaiah, you'll see that there were great times of difficulty in store for Judah. There would be physical darkness, so to speak. There was an Assyrian invasion that was coming. But the real darkness that the Lord promises to pierce and to destroy is a darkness that is much more bleak, much more gloomy, much more impactful than the darkness of the invasion of an enemy. It's a darkness of the heart, a darkness of the soul, the darkness of sin that each and every one of us has in our hearts and we will have unless the Lord himself works upon us by the power of his Holy Spirit. This is a darkness not just from the nations surrounding Judah from the outside, not just from the events of our own world in our own day, but the darkness of our hearts on the inside. Darkness, meaning what? How could we explain this darkness? What does that mean? Darkness of sin, darkness of corruption. Well, darkness, spiritually speaking, that means this. It's ignorance of God's word. Ignorance of God's statutes, his law. 
misery and distress, all centered around that three-letter word that our world hates to talk about, S-I-N, sin. It's easy for us to, to brush over that. Sin. You think of that as the little actions that we do here and there, the, the mistakes and missteps, the, the time when I talked back to my parents. I, I was too harsh with my wife. Indeed, those things are sin. But congregation, if we think of sin just in terms of those isolated incidents and actions that each and every one of us falls prey to often, we miss the darkness that is truly there. The fact that sin and its corruption inhabits every single thing that we do left to ourselves. The way that it inhabits the whole ethos and, and mindset of our society. Not just about our society, but the world itself. It's, it's plagued by sin and corruption. It's, it's broken. It's bent. It's illogical. It's dead set against God. You see, congregation, that is darkness the darkness of a sin-sick soul that goes so much deeper than an enemy, a geopolitical enemy attacking. Sin that distorts every single thought, that pollutes every word that were to come out of our mouth, touching every action that you and I take, again, left to ourselves. As Paul says in Galatians 5, verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Even if we were just to consider sin, just being those little isolated incidents, the apostle says that leaven leavens the entire lump. The walking in sin and darkness was, just, was not just on an individual level here and there. The walk of the entire nation of Judah had become infected Congregation, the walk of the entire world had become infected. And if you know your Bible history, again, as I alluded to earlier, we're talking about Judah under the reign of King Ahaz at the time when Isaiah brought forth this inspired prophecy. When he brought to Judah the word of God. And who was this man? Who was this man who ran to the Assyrians when he was afraid? who didn't run to God, who didn't go to his temple to plead for the Lord's wisdom and mercy. He ran to the Assyrians. How does Scripture remember King Ahaz? We have this summary, if you would. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Kings 16. We read this in the first four verses of 2 Kings 16. A summary of the life of King Ahaz and his reign and rule. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to, raise, to, to reign. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. But he walked, hear that word walked, in the way of the kings of Israel, he even burned his son as an offering according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and on every green tree. He burned his own son as a sacrifice 
And scripture says that he made offerings on the high places and under the hills and under every green tree. Point being, if there was a place for him to make a pagan altar to worship the false gods, he found it, he worshiped there, and he called Israel to worship there, or Judah to worship there. This is the Bible's way of saying that he spread his false worship into every nook and cranny of the kingdom of Judah. Congregation, that is darkness. Where there's ignorance of God's word, there is darkness there. Where there is trust, seeking hope, seeking peace. And anyone other than God himself, there there's darkness. Where there is fear of enemies, there's darkness. Where there's a careless attitude towards sin, there is darkness. Commentator Young calls the state of God's people at this time the darkness of calamity. Not only are the people walking in darkness and ignorance, false worship, sin, verse 2a, they are dwelling there, making their home in it, nesting down in it, in a land of, according to that second half of verse 2, deep darkness. Isaiah here uses the same language that Job used when he cursed the day that he was born. Turning your Bibles to Job chapter 3 with me. There Job says this of the day of his birth, of the day perish on which I was born. The night that said a man is conceived, let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let the clouds dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. That congregation is the kind of darkness, hopeless darkness, bleak darkness, deep darkness darkness that the people walked in, lived in, dwelled in. You want to understand doom and gloom, hopelessness? Job did. Do you? This is not the kind of darkness that will be solved by any type of human means. By itself, this darkness leads to nothing but utter despair and deeper and deeper and more and more darkness. This is the valley of the shadow of death, a menacing darkness, an increasing darkness, a stress-inducing darkness, a hope-destroying darkness. For this darkness to be dealt with is going to take nothing less than a miracle, nothing less than the work of God himself. And that, says Isaiah, is the kind of darkness into which this glorious light dawns. A great light has appeared, piercing the darkness. Not a candle, not a flashlight, but a great and magnificent, a glorious light. Again, children, have you ever watched fireworks on Canada Day? Or we were just talking with someone else about watching fireworks on New Year's Eve. And you get those big ones that go up. And in the middle of the night, they explode. And for a moment, in the middle of the night, it could be as bright as day. 
light that transforms the darkness. When that happens, we're filled with wonder. We're filled with awe. And God himself is saying through the prophet Isaiah that he will send such a light. Not one that explodes for a moment and then passes. What it will be like in the middle of the night and dawn breaks through forever and ever. The, glory, the dawn of a glorious light. A light that shines and will never cease. God says he will replace that darkness. Destroy it. The darkness of rebellion, sin, and death the light of his reconciliation, his salvation, his life. Only God can bring such a light. We read this in John chapter 1. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the blood, not of blood, or the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but the will of God. We're talking about Christ, the light of the world here, the sum and substance of this promise that the Lord brings through the prophet. I ask you, beloved, how is ignorance of the word dealt with? What does light shining upon the darkness of ignorance look like? Hebrews 1 verse 1, long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his own son. How about the darkness of false worship? How does the light of Christ deal with that darkness? Jesus says to the woman at the well in John 4, 22 through 24. He says to her, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, the Lord says, and is now here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Beloved, what are we doing here in this building today? We sing praises to our God. We bring our prayers and petitions before him. We confess our faith together in fulfillment of this promise that light has pierced through the darkness. The fact that you came with your family here today is evidence that Christ has broken through the darkness. Well, how is the darkness of sin dealt with? Those glorious words in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is flipping darkness to light. Each and every one of us, when we search our hearts, know the depth of the darkness within. The darkness of sin that even our closest neighbors, perhaps, are unaware of. But God is not unaware of. The one who sees and hears and knows. But the one who loved this world enough to send his only begotten son, that those who believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That one who is our righteousness. 
And where do all these things lead to? Ignorance of the word, false worship, sin. Beloved, they lead to death. At the tomb of Lazarus, Lazarus, Jesus said to Martha in John 11, 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And the Lord asked the question, do you believe this? This is good news. This is light in place of darkness. Promises that our sin will be paid for by another. That death itself cannot have the last word. That we don't have to go to Jerusalem to worship God and to be in his presence. That we've encountered God in the flesh through the word in Jesus Christ. Congregation, that's good news. That's a great beam of light and of hope in a world and in hearts filled with darkness. Jesus says in John 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees didn't like this claim. And so he warned them that they would be, that he would be going away. And if they rejected him, they would die in their sins, in their darkness. The same is true today. Same problem, same solution, same darkness, same light. Beloved, I read different statistics in preparing for this sermon But if the surveys hold true, we could take a range. And it would seem that somewhere between 5 and 20% of Canadian churchgoers hear that. Between 5 and 20% of Canadian churchgoers, not just the populace in general, but of those who say they go to church, 5 to 20% of them say they read their Bibles every day. The darkness is all around us. The MAID Act, abortion on demand, the let your children choose their pronouns movement, the marginalization of the church and society itself. Again, before we stress about that darkness, about the darkness, how about the darkness that you and I so readily give a foothold to in our own souls? About that darkness of death. The congregation, verse 2 of our text again, Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There is no better reason for joy, for hope. Secondly, this afternoon we see Joy replacing our sadness. Maybe it feels to us, I know it does, so often that our nation walks in darkness. Before we are citizens of Canada, United States, or any other country, beloved, we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. Paul says in Philippians 3, 20 and 21, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior. 
the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even subject all things to himself. You see, as a light of the world, Jesus gives us joy in place of sadness. Turn with me again to our text, Isaiah 9, verse 3. The second verse of our text. The prophet says this, You have multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Notice the change of who Isaiah addresses here in verse 3. The joy of encountering the light of the world, Christ, causes the prophet not just merely to address the people now, but to look to the Lord in praise and in worship. Lord, look what you have done. He looks to heaven and he says to the Lord, you have, you have, you have. God has acted and his people are filled with joy. The type of joy one gets when he receives a bumper crop yield of the harvest time. Or the type of joy you have in finding a treasure. Kids, think about it this way. Imagine that you're walking through the woods looking for a good spot to build your next fort. And as you're trucking through the woods, you come across a a small box next to a tree stump. And you you open up that box, and lo and behold, it is filled with gold coins. You couldn't start piling those things into your pockets fast enough. You're splitting the spoil, so to speak. Imagine the excitement and joy that you would be filled with in finding that kind of treasure. This is the kind of joy and excitement that is ours when we encounter Christ. When his light dawns upon the darkness of our souls and chases it away. Knowing Jesus is like knowing the one who makes the night day. The one who makes the night day when you think of the things that go bump in the night. The one who fills your whole house with warm light when the power dies at 2 a.m. The one who gives you the riches of not just another earthly lifespan to enjoy him. But an eternity of being with him, reigning with him, ruling with him. Joy that never comes to an end. Dwelling with him at his feet, learning from him, enjoying his presence. I'd say that's worth a whole lot more than a bumper crop or a chest of gold. It's joy that leads to worship. Isaiah can't help but seeing his vision and just looking up at God and saying, look what you have done, Lord. And neither can we. When we truly understand that we are what we have been delivered from, when we actually have dealt with the darkness that God picked us up out of, when we know the darkness that inhabited my soul, the light that he brought to it, how can we but worship him? Oh Lord, look what you have done. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. It's like when you've had a really bad day at school, 
You're riding the bus home and you just cannot wait to see your dad, see your mom. And when that bus door opens and you see your mom waiting there at the house door, you run to her. Dad, you exclaim, Mom, you exclaim, everything's okay now. Immediately there's light in place of darkness, joy in place of sadness and grief. Beloved, Jesus says to you what he says to me today, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Have you heard his call to come out of the darkness into his glorious light? And if you have heard that call, and you have, by God's grace, responded to it, as we take stock this Christmas day of our own lives and our own walks, then let this be another time to find joy as with the great harvest or the spoils of the world's greatest treasure. Finding joy in the one who replaced our darkness with light and our sadness with joy. Indeed, we can say with the church of old congregation, rejoice. Rejoice, Emmanuel has come to you, O Israel.